I was given the privilege of being the pastor here, and one of the first things that I was given was a directory. And I looked through that to kind of get an idea of sizing you all up, as I'm sure you were and maybe still are, sizing me up a little bit. But I, I was given this, obviously, as a tremendous help and a tool just to learn faces and names and, and all of that. Some of you probably have one of these. This was produced in 2007, so fairly recent. And, and so I looked through that and was able to at least put a few faces and names together before I was sort of on the ground here, so to speak. And, and sometimes I'm real good about remembering who everybody is. And then I'm sure I've called you a name that's not yours and you just sort of go along with it. And, and that's the way it is, you know, but, but the directory was a tremendous help. And then one day I was looking through some old boxes that I found here at the church and I found a couple of older directories, one of them in 1998, the other in 2002. And because I want to keep my job, I'm not going to put any pictures on the screen, though let me tell you, it was tempting because some of them are pretty good. I'll leave these up here. You can flip through them later on if you want to, and you can laugh. Of course, you know, we're all laughing with you, right? All right. Anyway, I, I looked through these and, and these are the oldest that I, that I found. So just from 1998, so a period of 10 or 11 years, not a long time. But, you know, it's amazing to look back at 98 and even, even the picture of the church. There's, there's not the big steeple on there. And I'm sure that certain things on the inside at that point looked a little bit different. There have been some updates here and there, just minor modifications. And so uh, then you flip through the inside of this, and it gets really interesting because in 10 or 11 years, there's been a lot of things that have happened. And you think back, whether you're in these directories or not, maybe this is your first time here, you just think back over the last 10 years. Where were you in 1998? What were you doing? Who was around you in 1998? Some of you were very young in 1998. Some of you have not had a birthday since then. That's the way it is, you know. You're stuck on 1998, a good year for you. You know, some of you were, were young maybe teenagers in 1998. Some of you were just maybe beginning your family. I was in college at Murray State in 1998, getting engaged and married a year later. And so that was my stage of life then, playing baseball there. And a lot has happened in 10 years. And some of you, as I flip through these, you're like me. Your hair has done things that you just think, what on earth has happened to me in 10 years? I used to have really nice hair, and now i got nothing. Or maybe some of you have, by choice or just by nature, changed your hair color. And maybe you are fighting nature and continuing by choice to change your hair color back to what you thought it ought to be before nature took over. I don't know. Some of you, as I look through this, have added family members. There have been children born to your family. Or maybe you've gotten married or, or, or just additions in some way to your family. Others have, have experienced a tremendous amount of change in those 10 or 11 years, and maybe personal change, or just you think, my goodness, look how much is different now than it was back then. Some of you have experienced the, the very deep pain of losing a loved one in those 10 years. And these directories reflect that at one point that person was there, and the next directory they're not. And as I flipped through that, I thought, hmm, some of those people I never had the privilege of knowing. Some of those people I did, and in the last year or so they've passed on. 
And there's a lot that happens. Some of you have experienced the tragedy of divorce in those 10 years. And there's one picture of you and your family as you used to know it, and the next picture is completely different. And there's a lot that's happened in those 10 years. And so I thought maybe it would be interesting and appropriate if we looked at what happens between the directories. And what does God have to say about it? And how can we adjust and approach and learn from and deal with all the stuff that happens? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at things like what does the Bible have to say about death and change and disagreements because there are people in one directory and not in the next one, and they're not there because of a disagreement. What does God have to say about that? What next week, what does God have to say about divorce and that tragedy and that pain that comes with that? This morning, we're going to look at what God has to say about marriage. Think if you have been married or know people that that are, think back to the time when that was all sort of beginning. I, I have done lots of weddings, and it's always interesting. The people, of course, are always different and unique. And each wedding that I've done has had some unique element to it, some funny, some sort of interesting. And and yet every time that I meet with a couple to talk about maybe premarital counseling or just planning the wedding out a little bit, it, it, they're always tremendously excited. They have no idea what they're getting into. You know, they none whatsoever. They're just happy. And nothing's going to stop them from being happy. You try to tell them now, listen, you're going to deal with that, not us. Listen, we're in love. Let me tell you, look, I love him so much. She is so wonderful. You know, and the guy's trying to kind of hedge his bets and still act kind of macho. But, you know, he's thinking, hey, you know, listen, I love her. She, there's never going to be a problem between us, you know, and. You know, and the bad thing is, as soon as you get married, you go on a honeymoon where everything's perfect and paid for. You know, it's just, and, you know, and then you get back and you wonder, oh, now what? You know, what do we do? And, and, and you think back to, to that time, and, and those, those couples, they all have an idea of what they think marriage is going to be. And most of it's a perfect idea. It's just going to be incredible. And maybe, maybe they're looking at it and they think this is going to be the most unbelievable experience in my life. Or maybe they've had a picture of marriage, and sometimes maybe they've looked at their grandparents or parents and said, you know, listen, we didn't always get along, but I wish I could have a marriage like that. They've stuck together. They've done it the right way. Or others, they they bounce back off a picture that wasn't good. Maybe you were raised in a home where you said, look, I don't want to do marriage the way I saw it in my home, and I'm going to do it differently. And we all have those those ideas about what marriage is to be and what it's supposed to be about. And, And so... You think back to that time when there was this idealized version of what marriage was going to be, and and then you look now and you say, you know, as I look around, and I do this, as I look around at at the marriages that I see and and the marriages that I come into contact with and the the tragic stories I hear, there seems to be in many marriages something that's missing. Maybe maybe you'd agree. I I don't know. There's just there's something you can't really put your finger on it. You just think, what what's missing? I think there's there's something, that, that it's the wonderful that's missing, that we all anticipated. This was going to be wonderful. There's, that, that wonderful is missing in many marriages. And there may be marriages here today who you've gotten dressed up this morning and you've, you've put on your best face, and yet behind it you know there's something missing. The wonderful's gone. You just think, what happened? I want you to know that based upon the Scripture, that God has designed marriage to be something wonderful when it's done His way. The problem is we get involved, you with me? And we do it our way, and we just mess everything up. Aren't we good at that? Listen, humans have some very redeeming qualities, and yet one of the things that we just do is we mess things up quite a bit. Isn't that the truth? And marriage sometimes gets messed up. It's, it's possible, though, I believe, to return to the wonderful experience that God designed it to be. It's not easy, 
but it's possible. It's possible for those of you that are single today, be you a, a, a person who's in the second half of life or the first half of life, and you're single and you say, I'd like to be married maybe again, or I'd like to be married for the first time. It's possible to have a wonderful marriage, but it's only possible when it's done God's way. Some of you would agree with that. Say, you know what, you're right. I've done it God's way, and it's been wonderful. I didn't do it God's way, it wasn't wonderful. And I also realize when we talk about marriage today that this can be a very painful topic for many people because there are folks here today that between those directories, you've lost your spouse. They passed away. And today you think, I don't really want to sit through a message on marriage because all it does is remind me of the person that I've lost. Or there are others today who who have experienced the, the very painful and tragic event of divorce. And maybe it was your fault, maybe it was their fault, maybe it was nobody's fault, and it just happened. And you just say, you know, I, I don't want to listen to something on marriage because all it does is remind me of the pain that I experienced. And there are others today, as I mentioned earlier, whose marriages just seem right now to sort of just be coasting along and there's nothing great about it. You're just existing. Maybe you feel like roommates. And you tolerate one another and you speak when you have to and you do things for the kids or whatever and, and you just think, man, I don't want to listen to that. And I want you to know that regardless of where you are today, that God has the opportunity and he has the power today to restore you, to heal you, to put you back on your feet. And even in a a message about marriage, though, you may say, I don't want to listen to that. God has the, the, he has the power and the desire to speak directly to you. So what I'd like to do is just spend a moment in prayer for those folks who for today's message, it's extremely painful reminds you of things that are hurtful and the loss that maybe you've experienced, be that through death or divorce or just alienation. I also want to pray for those folks whose marriages today are just sort of existing. They're not wonderful, but you're staying together and maybe you really don't know why. So I'd like you to join me and we'll spend just a moment in prayer and then we'll move on. So maybe you've got somebody in mind that you'll pray specifically for as I lead us. But if that's you, receive God's touch today. Receive his healing power and open your heart up to him for what he may want to do in your life today. Let's pray together. God, I'm conscious always of the folks who today may be experiencing a tremendous amount of pain, and this is just a reminder. For those who have lost loved ones or experienced divorce or alienation, God, I pray today that this would be a day not of, not of pain but of healing and not of discouragement but of hope. And that, Lord, today that each one of us, regardless of where we stand in the marriage spectrum, that you would put our lives together in such a way that they would be best. We pray that we would recover the wonderful thing that it is to be married if we do it your way. So, Lord, touch our hearts today. Heal those who are broken. Lord, I pray you bring encouragement to those who need it. May today be one of excitement and encouragement as we leave here. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We all have reasons, of course, that we get married. Some of you, if you think back, there were reasons, well, we're in love, or, well, it just seems like the right thing to do, or, well, they've been with me long enough, I owe it to them to get married, you know, something like that, I don't know. But God has reasons and purposes that may be different, but are always better for marriage. We think of the reasons we want to get married, and, oh, it sounds great, but let me tell you this, God's reasons are different, but they're not different in the sense that it's going to lead you a direction you don't want to go. God's reasons and purposes are different, but they're better. And I want to look at some of those today. On the back of your bulletin, I encourage you to write some stuff down. We are going to be very 
general today and cover a lot of stuff about what the Bible says about marriage. So for some of this, you may want to go back in this week, just in your time reading the Scripture or talking with God, just, just ask God what He has more to say about one of these specific things. I'm going to talk pretty quick. Some of you are used to that, all right? It's going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant today, all right? So we're going to get ready because I want to make sure that we cover this big umbrella about what God has to say about marriage. I'll also say this. If you have questions or needing some help in some area, I don't have all the answers, can't help you completely, but I am certainly available to do the best I can and maybe to point you in the right direction. I would be honored to do that. My contact information is there in the bulletin by phone or email, whatever works for you be available to help you in any way I can. So let's look at God's purposes for marriage. First, companionship. Companionship. One of God's purposes is companionship. I want you to look with me at the Scripture, and you'll see most of these on the screen behind me. The Scripture in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Now, It says here in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. You realize that everything up until this point that God created, He said it's good. He said loneliness, though, is not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is like him, somebody who perfectly corresponds to him, somebody who completes him, and he can complete as well. Verse 19, So the Lord God formed out of the ground each wild animal and each bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man would call a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found who was like him. This was not a very quick process. If he's going to line up all the animals and give them names, understand Adam waited a long time to find out who was going to be corresponding to him. We don't know how long, but you think about it. It didn't take 20 minutes to go through all the animals. He had to name them all. So it's a process. And even in that, and he probably knew the purpose. Adam, let's, let's find out who's, who's suitable for you. No suitable helper was found, verse 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed it, closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both a man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Companionship is one of God's purposes. The cure for loneliness, God said, is to bring someone into Adam's life that he could be united with in a covenant relationship for life, and they would complete one another. That was the desire that God had. Closeness, friendship. We're created for those things. Sometimes those of us who are maybe a little bit more independent in our relationships. We think, well, there's something mature and, and sort of honorable about not having any close friends. I, I can make it on my own. The Bible says it's not good to be alone. And so God was making someone for Adam. Now understand, just as a side note, and I could preach on this an entire sermon, and I won't, but this is before sin entered the world. So when God set up marriage, he set it up exactly the way he wanted it. We can make, understand this, all the laws we want to make and try to play God and redefine what marriage ought to be. And yet when we go back to Genesis 2, it wasn't until sin entered the world that marriage got messed up. God designed it, husband and wife, exclusive relationship, man and woman, exactly the way he wanted it to be. With me on that? We can design it however we want 
And yet God says he is the authority on who defines what marriage is. We are made to be in close relationship. God called it good. He said, this is, this is the way I want it to be. There's no relationship, as you well know, like that in a marriage if you've been in one. There's no relationship quite like it. There's no one that can, can make you as mad as that person that you're married. And nobody can make you as happy as that person can. There is something about the companionship that comes with marriage that God says, yes, that's exactly what I want it to be, closeness and friendship. It's wonderful, marriage is, when it's done God's way. It's designed to be good. Marriage, though, is not just for companionship, just so we won't be lonely. That's a big part of it, but it's not just for that. It's also, there's a big word, for sanctification. Big word. I think I spelled it right on the screen. I think. If not, don't say anything. Just write it down. Sanctification. Well, that's a big churchy Bible kind of word. It's sanctification just simply points, and I, I tried to come up with a better word, and I just couldn't. Sanctification is just the process of being made holy, being made into the person that God wants you to be. It's a lifelong process. Some of you have experienced this. You became a Christian, and you think, all right, everything's good now. I shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that, and everything's going to be fine. And all of a sudden... Five minutes later, you say the same thing that you said that you weren't going to say or did the same thing or thought the same. You know know what I'm saying? It's a lifelong process, sanctification. God is continuing to make you more like him if you are a believer in Jesus through your entire life. Those of you that are perfectionists, I'm I'm with you and I'm sorry because it ain't going to happen. And boy, I wish it could. My goodness, I'm, I'm the worst perfectionist I know. I just, it drives me nuts that I'm not perfect. It drives me crazy. And yet I realized, reading the scripture, that it's a process. Sanctification is not over until I die and I'm made perfect and there I go to heaven. That's, that's comforting. The only way I can get perfect is to die. Isn't that great? Good grief. So if you're a perfectionist, that's your only other option. But then, of course, that's not a good option necessarily until it's your time. And so don't pursue it any more than you have to. But Sanctification, that process of being made holy. I, I hope to show you in just a couple of scriptures how God has designed marriage to make you who he wants you to be. If you're in a marriage right now or thinking about it, understand that part of God's purpose is to make you the person he wants you to be. Look at Genesis chapter 2 again. In verse 15 it says this, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, here, here's, what, here's what he says, here are the rules. You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but... You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. There's God's boundaries. Hey, go wild on everything else but that. You know, sometimes we think God's here to sort of pin us in. You realize in a garden there's only one thing off limits? And we think, well, God's out to get me. There's one thing that was off limits. Adam, look, everything else, eat it. Except that. Not hard. At least not complicated. Adam's job then, we don't have a record of Eve yet because she was created after this fact. Adam's job was to teach that to Eve. His job was to help her understand what God wanted her to do. We realize later on that, that, that she learned that from Adam. I, I hope to show you in that scripture that there is something about marriage that we are to grow spiritually together, teaching one another what God would have us to do. Adam's responsibility was to do that. Then if you look over with me in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians over in the New Testament. If you got your Bible and flip in there, do it quickly. Told you, we're going quick. Some of you weren't ready for that. I had two cups of coffee this morning. I'm feeling good. All right? A little jittery, but I'm good. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Sometimes a difficult passage of Scripture for us, but I want you to get the idea of sanctification, of being made better, being made holy, the person God wants you to be. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Now, that's a stumbling block for many of us, but understand what, what Paul is going for here. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. To what? To make her holy, the sanctification, becoming holy, to make her holy, cleansing her in the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless in the same way, the same way that Jesus helps the church to become all the church should be, all individuals in that body of Christ, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, since we are members of his body. Do you see the relationship in there in a mysterious sort of way is somehow geared to help each person become who they are to be? Just as Jesus grows us up as Christians to help us be more like him, he, Paul equates that. Look, in a marriage, that's what ought to happen. Each person ought to be better and more Christ-like because they've been in a marriage. The husband should do that for the wife. The wife should do that for the husband. That relationship is there to, to bring sanctification. Now, let me show you a picture of what happens when that doesn't happen back in Genesis chapter 3. You're going to get tired if your Bible's heavy. Now, you're going to get tired swinging all those pages. We're going from one side to the other. Here we go. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now, it's obvious here that Adam taught Eve how to be holy. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but here's what God told Adam, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. And here comes temptation. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Doesn't sin always look good? Temptation always looks good. We'll find out in a minute the results. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. There it is. It looks great. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes, here's the results. The eyes of both of them were open, thought their sin was going to be great, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Later on, God comes looking for Adam. He says, Adam, look, your role was to make sure your wife knew how to be holy. You were the spiritual leader of your family. What happened? You know what Adam did? Boy, he's a great guy. Points to his wife and says, she, she did it. She made me do it. Listen, that woman you gave me, you know what she did? And God says, are you kidding? I mean, just picture the conversation. Are you kidding me? I, I, you're, you're supposed to make one another whole. Do you see what happens when one person takes their eyes off of what God wants to do? And it drags the other person down. They didn't have a better marriage because of that. Their marriage got worse. They started blaming each other. They had shame that they had never known. Sanctification, the process of being made holy, is one of God's purposes for marriage. It plays out this way. Nobody brings out in you what your spouse can bring out in you, good or bad. Now just think about that for just a second. Nobody can bring out in you, good or bad, what your spouse can bring out in you. Well, you, you get more angry with them, more frustrated with them than anybody in the world. And yet there are times when you can't explain how you love them. 
Nobody brings that out. Maybe it's God's design that that spouse that you have would be the person who sort of rubs you the wrong way sometimes to expose in you maybe the things that God needs to work on. You ever think about it that way? You ever think that somehow when they're irritating you that God's using them as a tool? No, I ain't thinking about that. They just need to quit irritating me. Absolutely. But you never know how God may use that. He may use your spouse to grow you spiritually, to stretch you, to shape you, to help you, to develop you, to produce in you what God wants you to be. Marriage does in you what may not be possible otherwise. You've got somebody there all the time, sometimes pointing out exactly what you do wrong, right? But sometimes just making you better. Companionship, sanctification. Another purpose that God has for marriage is multiplication. Multiplication. We're not going to get detailed here, but multiplication. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Be fruitful, multiply. God blesses it when it's done in marriage. And here we go. We multiply. There is something that God says when you're married, if you are physically able, have kids. I understand that uh, not, not too long ago, one of our precious ladies gave the command to the church for that, and not long after that, there were a few that uh, that apparently took her up on that, and uh, and we had some babies that were born. Let me tell you this. If you are physically able, I believe that the natural progression, you get married and you have children. Does that mean that somehow I, I've got some other verse? For, no, I just, I just think that's the natural progression. That's the way God set it up. Some of you are not physically able. You got married later in life. You've been unable to have kids. God's not mad at you. Please don't take it that way. Understand my heart. But if you are physically able and you get married, I I would encourage you, strongly encourage you, have children. Have children. But don't just multiply. Then, Then also multiply spiritually as well. Raise those kids to be spiritual champions. Raise them to love Jesus. Not not raising them just to be church attenders, but to love Jesus. There's a difference. So if you are physically able, I think, hey, you know what? I think God smiles on that when we have children. Trust God for the resources. Well, it's a tough economy. I'm not sure we can afford it. God, it says, owns the earth and everything in it. Those kids, you know whose kids they are? Not your kids. They're not my kids. They're God's kids. I think he could probably take care of them. And so I don't want to get legalistic with you in any way. I just want to encourage you. If you're thinking about having kids, you're a married couple, hey, go for it. That's exactly what God would want you to do. If you're not physically able, then, hey, don't don't feel any condemnation, any shame whatsoever. That's not the point. Multiplication is a purpose. Children, I believe, according to to God's word, they're they're an asset, not a liability. Boy, in today's world, sometimes we get it backwards. Uh, Psalm chapter 127, verse 3, it says that, that, that children's sons are an inheritance from the Lord, that children are a reward from Him. They're a blessing. And do they always do things the right way? No. Are they messy? Yes. Do they make some noise? Absolutely. But they are a blessing from God. I I fear for what our country will have to answer for, for the millions of babies we have aborted. I fear. I really do. God loves those little babies. He created each one of them. They are a life at conception. Psalms points to that over and over. They are a life at conception. I fear for what our country will have to answer for. 
for the millions that we have murdered through abortion because they are not a liability. They are an asset. Children are a blessing. They are, they are an absolute blessing. Companionship, sanctification, multiplication, and then one that you may not think of. God's purpose for marriage also includes witness. A witness. And that term simply means a telling about God. It's a witness to the world. Back in Ephesians. Getting your work out in. Turn back over there. By now you're stopped, you stop turning and you're just waiting for it to pop up on the screen. There you go. Game's getting old. Verse 32 in Ephesians chapter 5. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Paul has just laid out all the stuff that sort of compares husband and wife to church and God. And he says, it's sort of hard to understand, he says, but here's what I'm talking about. There's something about the husband and wife and their relationship that sort of in some way points to God and his relationship with the church. And in, in the marriage, Paul says that, that those attributes, those characteristics that are so true of God and his relationship with us as Christians, that ought to be true in marriage. There ought to be unconditional love. There ought to be self-sacrifice, forgiveness, pursuit of one another, purity, protection, caring. It's a picture of how Jesus loves the church, what he does for us. And Paul says there's something mysterious but powerful about a marriage that embodies those things. It says, look, here's what God can do. This is what God is about. He's about loving unconditionally and forgiving. Those relationships that Paul talks about between God and the church and husband and wife, they're both sacred relationships, very, very sacred, to be taken seriously and valued and protected and nurtured. They can bring happiness. A marriage can bring happiness and blessing to the marriage partners, and it brings honor to God when it's done His way. There's something powerful and mysterious about it. I think that's part of the reason why Satan works so hard to divide marriages. You ever felt like that in your marriage? There's just something working against you? It's your enemy. The Bible calls him Satan. He's a real being. And he's working against you. Why? Because if he can tear apart a, a marriage relationship, maybe in some way he can say something about the love of God being removed from his people. Maybe there's something about that. There is a witness that comes in a great marriage. So that's the purpose of marriage. That's wonderful for those who do it God's way. That's the target. That's the destination. But the, the question then is, how do we hit it? How do we get there? Certainly before you go somewhere, you need to know where you're heading and how to get there. And, and, and at the same time, you want to know which route not to take. You with me on that? Sometimes you take a route and you just think, why did I do this? Let me give you, you want to see how do we get there? How do we accomplish God's purpose? How do we achieve that? Let me give you some ways not to. Okay, these are not on the screen. They're not in your outline. But maybe you want to write some of these down. Because for some of these, they'll, they'll hit you right between the eyes. Because I realize the same in my life. Here are some marriage killers. You ready for this? This is what not to do. All right, maybe here, here you go. Pride is one of them. Pride is a marriage killer. Never being able to admit that you're wrong. Never being willing to say you're sorry. Always being right. Always being the person who has to come out looking good. Always needing to have the final word. You ever argue with somebody like that? It never ends. They always got to say something. You do too. You know, I'm not going to let them get one up on me. You know, and pride, good grief, pride. Selfishness is another one. What's in it for me? Selfishness, focusing on myself and what I get out of the marriage. That's a marriage killer. Two selfish people don't last long. They don't, they don't like each other after a while. It doesn't take long for that to happen. Focusing, this is, this is, this is a, 
a tough one to get, focusing on the kids. Now, wait a minute. You just said that kids are a blessing. They're, they're an asset, not a liability. Your marriage, those of you that have children right now, your marriage has got to come first. It has to. It, it is established first in Genesis by God as first importance in the family. Then kids came later on. Your marriage has to come first. Does that mean you ignore your kids? No. But that means that your marriage comes before your children. It has to. It has to. There are people in this room who have known folks or been there yourself, and your kids move out of the house, and you realize we don't have anything in common. We haven't talked about anything but the kids in 20 years. What do you do then? You realize that divorce rates are on the increase for empty nesters because they have focused on the kids only and not built their relationship. So parents, don't let your kids interrupt you when you're talking to your spouse. Don't let them do it. Well, my kids struggle with this. They get mad. They run off crying. And I say, stop. I'm talking to mommy. But you know what? They're going to know mommy and daddy come first. We're not perfect at it by any means. But put your relationship with your spouse first. If you want it to last, if you want to be a person whose marriage endures, you've got to do that. Another marriage killer is seeking greener pastures. And in that, having a quitter's mentality. Well, if, if, if she wouldn't do this all the time, boy, she nags me too much, I'm out of here. Listen, if you're going to leave over nagging, you're going to leave every relationship you've ever had. You with me on that? Good grief. Greener pastures often turn into the exact pasture you just left. The grass is greener, of course, where you water it, where you nurture it. That's where it's going to be. You can chase greener pastures all your life, and you'll wind up at the end of it empty-handed. God's not designed you for that. A lack of interdependence, not joining one another, instead living two separate lives, I would encourage you, maybe as a symbolic step, some of you may have separate checking accounts. Now, here we go. Wait a minute. We're talking about money and marriage. Let me tell you, join those up and see what happens. I always tell folks when I counsel them early on, I I counseled a a young couple one time. They were having a prenuptial agreement and separate checking accounts. I said, you're setting yourself up to quit. You're setting yourself up. I love you. I don't have a verse on this stuff, but let me tell you, you're setting yourself up to quit. Interdependence. Join one another. Become one. In every aspect that you can. He said, wait a minute, they don't manage money the way I do. Let's get you some help. Let's figure out how to manage money and get on the same path. And let's become one as God intended. Some of you are thinking, man, you're getting awful specific. I, I, I hope to. I'm telling you, listen, I want our marriages to succeed. Understand my heart. There is nothing that can destroy our church, destroy our community like broken families. Nothing. That is the very fabric of what God has intended to spread the gospel is the family unit. That's where it first started. Let's make sure we do everything we can to stay together. Infidelity is another marriage killer. And I'm not just talking, though it's included, about sexual infidelity and adultery. And that includes not only the physical contact, but pornography and all that kinds of stuff. That is a marriage killer, but it's also emotional infidelity. I would strongly encourage you, those of you that are are working these days, Set some boundaries around what you will do and will not do with the people you work with that are of the opposite sex. I would not have lunch with them alone. You realize most affairs start with something like that? An emotional attachment. They understand you more than you think your spouse understands you. Don't do that. Avoid it at all costs. Don't ride alone in a car with a member of the opposite sex that you're not married to. Don't, Don't let it happen. People at work may think you have lost your mind. Let them think it. Protect your marriage. Protect your emotions. 
Don't share marital stuff with somebody from the opposite sex. Don't Husbands, don't talk about your wife and your awful marriage to that lady that you work with. You're setting yourself up. Ladies, don't do that with the fellow that you think, you know, he's just a nice guy. Don't set yourself up. I refuse in a good way to counsel a woman one-on-one. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give myself or that woman the opportunity to have some weird emotional connection that we don't need because we're not married. It's not going to happen. So if you come to me, ladies, you want to have some counseling, listen, I'll bring my wife in. We'll all three sit down together. We'll talk. Set some boundaries. Another marriage killer in infidelity is too much time with friends. It's good to have friends, but they can't come before your spouse. Can't do it. Hobbies is another one, sort of along that line. Got to line those up. We're being married to your job. If you're a workaholic, I fall into that category way too often. And I have to confess and return to that and say, Nancy, you are first. I've got, I, I'm going to let something drop if need be, but I'm going to protect my relationship. Making marriage the wonderful experience God intended to be. You see the marriage killers. Let's go through very quickly. How do we get there? Prepare for it, number one. You may be a single person. Young people, if you've not paid attention to anything else, wake your neighbors up and listen. If you're a single person, Prepare for it. Don't just let it happen. Prepare for it. How do you do that? You prepare for it now by fulfilling your commitments now. You tell somebody you're going to do something, do it. You tell somebody you're going to be somewhere, be there. Fulfill your commitments. Show up to work on time. Do your job. Do the best you can in school. Why? Because the habits you take into marriage are going to follow you. And if you're not a a commitment fulfiller, guess what? It's going to be real easy at some point to just treat that marriage commitment like, eh, I don't really feel like doing it today. I'm not going to go to work. I'm going to do this or that. And if you'll fulfill your commitments today, you'll put yourself in position to be in that habit. I'd encourage you to be the right person before you try to seek out the right person. Be the right person. Be patient in that. Be selective. Don't just take the next bus that comes along. Be selective. I would encourage you, if you're not married, to be and to seek out the type of people that are described in Matthew 5 through 7. You want to know what kind of person to be, what kind of person you want to be married to? Go read those three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus outlines, here's who are really following me. You want to know what kind of people I'm looking for? Jesus says, here it is. You want to have a great marriage. You be that kind of person. You seek out that kind of person. And prepare not just for the wedding day, but for the marriage. Well, how much money? Some of y'all spent tons of money on weddings. Good grief. Listen, I got two of them right now. We already started saving for Because we, I've got two little girls. And those weddings are expensive, are they not? And they're just going to get more expensive. But you know what's amazing to me is all the effort and money and expense and all the junk that goes into the wedding. And you know what day of the, the marriage that is? Day number one. Now what? And you know that bride, she's been planning since she was six years old for the perfect wedding. And then if nothing, you know, if everything goes right, she's fine. But then she turns into what? Bridezilla. You've seen the show. She turns into Bridezilla on wedding day. If there's one little thing that doesn't go quite right, prepare great to prepare for the wedding. Awesome. Hope it's wonderful. But it's day one. Prepare for the marriage, not just the wedding. Prepare for it. Parents, you must get involved as well in that. I could go on about that for a while, but I won't about the parents. Let's do our best, parents, to help our children know what kind of person they're looking for. That doesn't mean you've got to say, no, no, no. That just means prepare them, help them, instill in them the right values. For those of you that are married, here you go. Pursue one another. 
pursue one another. That's the companionship side of things. Great marriages don't just happen. They take work. It takes effort. You can't be friends or companions, let me say this, with somebody who you never share experiences with. You have to share some experiences. Maybe this week you just do something together for a change. Listen, that's an easy trap to fall into. You do your thing, they do their thing. Isn't that easy? Maybe this week you just say, you know what, let's interrupt that for just this week. Let's do something together. I don't know what it is. Watch a movie. Let's Whatever. Just do something together. Your loyalties, when the Bible says that a man leaves his father and mother, his old life behind, his old loyalties, and then is bonded or united with his wife, it's a change of loyalties from your old life and your old self and from yourself to your spouse. Companionship, pursuing one another is all about that. So maybe you'd reorder your week around time with your spouse. Secondly, ensure your spouse's fulfillment and growth. Ensure your spouse's fulfillment and growth. This is about the sanctification, to make each other better in all areas of life, physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, in every way you can, to create opportunities for them to enjoy life, to do things they love to do, to do the little things that you know just make their day better. Challenge and join them in growing spiritually. Ensure their fulfillment and their growth. Get God's perspective. The next one, get God's perspective on kids. This is the multiplication. Get God's perspective. They are a blessing, a source of joy. And I've heard it said, be nice to your kids because they're going to pick a nursing home. I've heard it said that. That's a scary thought for some of us. Maybe your kids, you need to be a little nicer to them today. I don't know. Be nice to them. See them from God's perspective. Your marriage, whether or not your kids are following Jesus, your marriage ought to bring blessing on your home, and they ought to enjoy that blessing from God. And I'll say this. My prayer is that my kids will want to be married because they've seen my marriage. What if your kids wanted to be married because they said, man, that was incredible what kind of home I grew up in. I want to be married, and I think my parents are a little goofy sometimes, but let me tell you, I want to be married just like I want to have that relationship. Well, that's my prayers. My kids would want to be married because of me and Nancy. And then finally, remember what your marriage represents. There's the witness part, that it's sacred, that it is intended to glorify God. So make it happen. I began with prayer for those whose marriages may have failed, for those who have experienced the pain of losing your spouse. And I want you to know as I reiterate that there is hope And there is healing, and there is forgiveness if it's needed, and there is restoration, and there is still a plan for your life, even though you may think, I've messed it up, or they messed it up, or circumstances have just conspired against me. God still has a plan. He has not forgotten you, nor will He ever. And there is hope, and there is restoration. For those of you that are currently in a marriage, do something about your marriage this week. Don't let it fall on deaf ears. Do something about your marriage this week. Maybe one of those things. Marriage is wonderful. Marriage is wonderful for those who do it God's way. God's way may sometimes be difficult, but it's always best. And marriage is wonderful for those who do it God's way. The Bible also says that life is at its best when it's done God's way. And for some of us here today, you may say, I'm not sure this marriage thing has a whole lot to do with me. But I'll tell you this, maybe you evaluate your life today and you figure out which direction it's headed. Is it headed toward the way you would choose or the way that God would choose? The Bible is very clear. 
There's one way to do life the best way, and that's God's way. There's one way for salvation, the Bible says, that's through Jesus Christ himself and him alone. And so maybe today, along with maybe your marriage or maybe independently of you, commit your life to being under God's control. I'm I'm giving up my control. I want life the best way. And I want Jesus to give me that. The Bible says it's very simple. That we turn from that old life and confessing, I've been in control, I have fallen short, I have sinned. And we trust Jesus as our only hope for salvation, asking him to come and live on the inside of us and give us that best life and eternal life possible. And so maybe that's your commitment today. In just a minute, I'll be standing down here and be happy to pray with you about salvation or to encourage you in some way or to pray with you if your heart is broken today. And so regardless of what you're facing, the Lord is here and ready to minister to you and to help you. And so if you would, I'd like for you to stand with me and we'll have a prayer and then we'll close with a song. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm thankful that you have a purpose for the stuff that happens between the directories. That you have not forgotten us. That, Lord, you love us and you have great things in mind. May we take to heart the scripture and may we radically change, if need be, to pursue your purpose for marriage. Lord, again, I pray for those who are brokenhearted and struggling this morning, that you would bring them hope and healing and restoration. I pray for the marriages that are just on the brink, holding on by a thread, that you would restore them today and draw those people close to one another again. We thank you most of all for drawing close to us by sending Jesus to die for our sins. And we know apart from him, Lord, our lives are pointless and will one day end in complete hopelessness. But we thank you that with him, that we are forgiven, given eternal life. Lord, help us to live for you this week, to prepare for or to do something about our marriages. May this be a church with strong marriages and strong families to give a witness to our community about the love that you have for each of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.